boy. Yeah. You know, I made a big deal about looking at films that focus on the post-apocalypse and how the world can come apart and things don't really, they don't resemble anything of the world we recognize today, right? And some of those films were a little more about uh, the, the apocalypse in progress or a dystopian outcome, let's say. You know, I had some more on my list that I wanted to watch, and I finally got to them. And I got to say, look, all the films I've watched so far and all these episodes here on Filmstrick, I've watched going on 400 films at this point. There's a lot that I've watched I haven't talked about yet, but this run of all of these films, man, this was probably the toughest stretch to get through. And, you know, I don't know if it's also, I don't know if the fact that all these films are from the 80s has something to do with it. I feel like it was a weird time for films. And you could say, well, there was A Boy and His Dog. There was Death Race. Some of those films right before the 80s. Then Mad Max comes along. The Road Warrior comes along. And those really take this whole genre to a new level. And I think what we see, or at least what I see in a lot of these films now, from the mid to late 80s, you see people either just copying what was done in those films or they're just kind of just lifting things from them, you know? And I could see where it's like, well, I like that idea, but I want to put my own spin on it or I want to do something different. I get it. You have a different take. Fine. Except actually do it well, you know? So I'll just get into some of these. I mean, the first one I started with, I talked about in the previous episode. If you're going to push forward into the future, don't just do like 10 years or 20 years, right? Like really jump forward because it's fine if it's something that we don't recognize today. Here, this film, America 3000. Yeah, they went there. This film was made in 1986 or was released in 1986. The idea here is that this uh, this film is set in Colorado somewhere. I don't think it's really specific. It's 900 years after the Great Nuke. So I guess in the year 2100, there's some nuclear uh, war, nuclear disaster, something that basically takes everything back to the Stone Age, right? The, the entire world, the mankind has gone back to caveman days. Women are in charge of the situation. And men are just kind of the workers, the, the almost slaves, if you will. And here's where I feel like I, a lot of these films, I feel like I see what they're doing. I, I see it, but it's not done well. They're not selling me on it. I get the idea, but I don't want to buy it. <laughs> There's... All the dialogue in this film, it's done in this semi-broken cave English. And, I mean, most of it resembles, you know, how we talk today. But there are certain words that are 
made up. There's just made up words in this. And I guess you're supposed to kind of understand or use your context clues, figure out what they're trying to say. It kind of reminds me a little bit, if you remember uh, A Clockwork Orange, I mean, in the novel, but also in the film, there are words and there's like a lingo in it that you can kind of figure out what it is that they're saying, right? Here, it's kind of similar, but also on top of that, they leave out words in just regular English. So there were moments in this film where I, I just literally didn't understand what was being said. And I had to turn on the subtitles just to like make sure I was hearing right. Because it's broken and you're throwing in words that don't exist. So... All of that said, this the, the the production of it, there's this pretty horrible voiceover throughout the film. And I don't I'm not opposed to narration or or, or voiceover in general, but this the way it's done, it just sounds like it sounds like just bad acting. You know what I mean? Overall, I just think it it fails on just about every level, you know? Now, here's how bad I thought this film was. And that, no film that I've seen so far in, uh, we're, we're up to 376. No film that I've seen up to this point have I thought, this would be great for Mystery Science Theater, you know? Or uh, what's it called nowadays? Riff Tracks, I think. This film seems like if it hasn't already been done in that style, it feels like it's like just ready for it. There's so much to poke fun at in this film. It's so bad that it's not it's not even good bad. It's bad bad. So, you know, in the same vein, I found this other film and I think it was one of those where it just kind of got recommended to me because I saw this one and it was like, "Oh, you will like also Exterminators from the year 3000, which just on its face, I thought, wait a minute, is this the same movie? <laughs> it's, again, someone had the same idea somehow to do, to jump so far ahead. Now, this film came out before America 3000. This came out in 1983. And from what I can tell, this looks like it's a Spanish production, but it's all in English. It's an English language film. But similar to a lot of films that were shot in Europe or produced in Europe, they shot them without any production sound. And then all of the actors, all the dialogue had to be re-recorded or dubbed over. So it's already, there's that weird like separation. Like it doesn't feel right when you hear it and, and when you watch the film. Sometimes it can be a little distracting. Most of the times, if it's done well, you probably don't even notice it. But in this film, it's really bad. And again, we have another instance where the world is a wasteland. It's a desert. There's no water. And you know, the, the weird thing is, this film, the opening of it, which I, I, I kind of like the novelty of it, but... It opens with this prolonged car chase action scene, but you don't know who these characters are. You don't know why this is happening. <laughs> you just kind of get thrown right into it. 
it's not even clear like whose side you're supposed to be on. Like, are you on the side of? It's, it's like some cops. I say cops. They they look like sort of like police officers or whatever. But I don't. We're in the year three thousand. Everything's a desert. Who is there law anymore? I don't know. But then there's this car that is kind of chasing them, hunting them down, or or, or trying to kill them. And then it just cuts to this kid in this uh, kind of village camp type of thing where they're talking about the water and you're starting to learn some different characters and who they are and what they're doing. Well, I mean, it's just so detached from what we just saw. I don't even know what is exactly happening in this film. I can piece together that, okay, this is about the search for water, the, the trying to survive, all that kind of thing. But again, we've got the same thing where when it gets into the action sequences, which there are several, actually, um, especially towards the end, you know, it kind of ramps up into a big thing. It feels like a total knockoff of the Road Warrior, Mad Max 2. So this kind of takes that same vision and, and keeps it rolling, you know? And you can see that there is a hint of, of of like a vision, like a cinematic idea that they're trying to get across. But it's so, uh, I, I, I don't want to say it's laziness. It's not, because it takes a lot of work to make a film like this, especially this kind, right? This genre. You've got stunts, you've got the sets, the vehicles. You know, there's a lot of things that have to be done to kind of get this thing just off the ground. But, Man, there's so much here that it, it was painful to watch, really. Painful in the sense that I feel like th this, this was a little bit of, not a waste of my time as a viewer. I mean, yes, that also, but it's like to everybody who made a film like this, like, wow. I mean, if you would have maybe spent like another year working on this or, or gotten some more money or maybe even hired some better actors or something this thing would have come off maybe exponentially better. So uh, with that in mind, you know, I said, all right, I need to kind of dial it back a little bit. Let me get out of this for a minute and look at something that is maybe a little more uh, recognized or acclaimed, I guess, and see if maybe that makes the difference, you know? Like maybe I just hit a bad spot here, you know? I hit a landmine, so... I went back to some of the other films that I had watched in the previous episode. I saw them uh, with the Criterion channel. They have, I think it's still going, a post-apocalyptic uh, collection. So they have a lot of films from the 70s, 80s. Uh, I don't think there's anything in the 90s. But there are these films that tackle this genre in some way or another. And one of them that I hadn't seen before that I've always wanted to see just because I thought the title was honestly intriguing was Night of the Comet. There are films like this one that I can see, again, the idea there. But something about the execution and maybe for the time, like this came out in 19, uh, when did this come out? 1984. And, you know, the thing is this film tries to sell itself as a comedy in a sense or, or satire, really. And it's poking fun at certain things about society, about youth. And yet, I just feel like it might have landed and it might have hit perfectly in 1984, really captured the moment. 
But here now, watching it, what, 40 years later, I feel like there are other films that have done it better. And it's not to necessarily say that this one doesn't have any value, of course, but I just don't see it now. If I would have seen this when it came out, I probably would have been one of those people that's very, like, uh, just champion this film as like a, a landmark. But I don't see it. I just don't. So I'll break this down a little bit. This is about um, the main characters played by Catherine Mary Stewart, uh, who I recognize from Weekend at Bernie's. And if you grew up in the 80s, you know what a big deal it was. Mischief, right? <laughs> so it's her and her sister, who is more of a valley girl. That I think the idea is that they are two sides of the same coin. One is smart and resourceful, and one is maybe a little more uh, goofy, but also um, free, kind of open-minded, let's say. And these two sisters, they basically get caught up in this moment where a comet passes near Earth, and anyone who's exposed to it turns either to dust or they turn into zombies. They find this guy, Hector, and they kind of form a group. They're trying to just figure out what's going on and how to survive and, you know, stay away from the zombies, the comet zombies. Um, I don't, I don't really understand how that works, but there are also the scientists who are looking for survivors, but they're also, they're kind of sus, you know, they're kind of like, what are they really doing? Are they looking for survivors to help people or are they looking for survivors for some other reason, right? And and they find some other people, like, I guess, these gangs. And so it's more of an adventure and it's supposed to be kind of fun and lighthearted. But I don't know. This just seems like one of those cheesy 80s movies that should have stayed in the 80s. I don't really see how this has any kind of tail on it, you know? So I said, well, maybe that wasn't the right move. Maybe I should have just stayed in the uh, desert wasteland and just see how that goes, I guess. And I hit a couple of other films that I've always heard about, uh, I've seen, but I really had no idea what they were about, you know. Steel Dawn uh, was one that I remember going through the video store again and seeing that cover and it's just Patrick Swayze and he's got a beard and long hair. And I'm like, what is this movie? And interestingly enough, you know, I've talked about Shane in the past and I haven't seen it yet. Still, I'm going to see it one day. I'm going to do that one with my dad again, I think. But Looking at this film, uh, something I read about it is like it is basically a Mad Max take on Shane. Now, I don't I don't know what really the plot of Shane is even, but it was kind of fun to, to see this and imagine like how would this work as a Western kind of in reverse, I guess. And so here we have Patrick Swayze. And now this is after Dirty Dancing, right? Dirty Dancing, I think, came out the year before. This comes out in 1987. Uh, some of his other films like Roadhouse and all that come out a few years later. So it's weird to see like this feels like a film he might have made before Dirty Dan, like, you know, before he really hit because he's doing his thing. He's doing his cool, calm, tough guy. You know, that delivery, especially like in Roadhouse, like there are moments in this film where I'm like, this is kind of like Dalton. Like you see him working it out like it's not really there yet. So there are moments where 
he feels and he, and he kind of comes across as like kind of a badass, you know, but there are other moments where he just comes across as stiff and he doesn't really like know how to act. <laughs> and that's, that's too bad, you know, but I, I'll give it this. I mean, Patrick Swayze, it, it's films like this where maybe he's not that great in it, or maybe the film's not even that great. But there's a presence, you know, it's like you can't help but watch the guy. And whether he's doing some of the action stuff, which here it's it's not great. You could see they tried to, like, you know, integrate some of his fighting martial arts sort of vibe. But it really feels like a bunch of dudes just rolling around in the sand. <laughs> it's not... It, it it's not really structured. It's not really choreographed necessarily. It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't flow, you know? <laughs> you just see a lot of dirt flying around. But I'll say this much. I mean, he does have a presence. And, you know, this film is essentially about this guy. I don't even remember if they he has a name, but he's kind of a drifter. He, he's like a, I think he's actually a nomad. I think that's his name or that's what he is, whatever. That's what he's credited as. Okay. He's roaming the wasteland, roaming the desert, and he finds this camp and he kind of folds in with them. And turns out he ends up having to help them defend their water source, right? Because other people are like trying to get at it. They're trying to get that water splash and he's got to be the one to help out and pull his weight but also it turns out hey he's a good fighter he's resourceful and he saves the day i thought okay well this is not too bad the there's no fantastic elements to it there's no magic there's no you know it's actually very bare bones now, it's got some action in it, and it's got a little bit of setup of, like, you know, how this world works and all that. But it's pretty cut and dry. It doesn't dress, it doesn't try to dress it up too much, where it can be distracting because it just doesn't look good or it doesn't come across. Uh, all that to say, though, I mean, still not a great film. It's, it's not anything I'm in any rush to go back and see. So with that, I said, all right, the other film that I hadn't seen, also from this same period, Solar Babies. Now, if you've seen Solar Babies, you're probably already thinking, oh, damn. Yeah, it's that kind of film. This is from 1986. And to look at the cast of this film, you would swear it has the makings of a great movie with just the cast. Jason Patrick. Jamie Gertz, Lucas Haas as a little kid, right? It's like there are enough recognizable people, especially now. Like a lot of those people have gone on to do things and be very successful in their own ways since this. And I don't know if a lot of the, because, okay, the, the basic story of the film is like you've got these kids that are working in this camp. It's kind of like a slave camp. They're digging for water. They're, the world is a desert again. And these kids are the ones that are basically tasked with finding water. And the kid in this film, 
Lucas Haas, I don't, I don't remember his character's name. He finds this orb. It's like a glowing blue orb that speaks to him and has a name. Bodai. <laughs> hey, what? <laughs> but this orb has the secret to finding water somehow. And the kid knows it, can hear it, can whatever, can see it. I don't, I don't know. And there's this other guy, Adrian Pazdar. He's another kid who's kind of the weird kid. He's the one that hangs out with birds and shit. He takes the orb. He takes off. So this group of kids, they decide to go find him because they want to find the orb because they know there's something about it. It has a connection to water somehow. Now, this whole thing that I'm telling you right now, this is like the first half of the film. They go on this adventure. They're roaming the wizard. The wizard. <laughs> the wizard. The world is a wizard. They're doing this. All of this, this whole movie, these kids, there's like six of them, I think. They're on roller skates. <laughs> because the beginning of the film, there's this game or whatever that they're playing that they're on skates. And they're roller skating through the desert, the desert, the, you know what I'm saying? They got, <laughs> these kids, they literally got roller skates on through the desert. They're roller skating the desert. <laughs> this film is so much of a disaster. And there are moments where you feel like, oh man, this could have actually worked. If you just lose the orb, lose the magic shit, <laughs> and lose the roller skates, and and make this less of a kid's movie, really, honestly, this could have actually been okay. But man, this is a tough one. There's a big plot about how, you know, the government or whatever, the military is trying to find this orb, and the kids are trying to protect it because they know it has some special secret. It talks to them, and it's got whatever. But, um, man, there's so much here that I feel like somebody should have been the person to say, hey, wait a minute, let's not do this part. Or why is this this way? It's pretty tough. So, look, where do I come down on this? You know, like watching these films and the ones in the previous episode. I mean, I'm talking about, let's see, what do we got? Five, 10, 12. 17 films, I think. 17? Yeah, 17 films I've watched. And some of them aren't really in this genre necessarily, but what's the takeaway here? I think for me, some of this is I'm trying to educate myself a little bit. I want to kind of understand the tropes and the conventions and where things work and where they don't work. And I think for me, what I come down to is like, if you've got an idea, just commit to the idea. Don't try and throw other stuff in here to dress it up or get fancy with it, you know? Just commit and, and focus on your idea. If, if you're really just trying to say something about a specific topic or concept, just focus on that and make that strong. Avoid the gimmicks. Too many gimmicks, is it's going to just cause problems and it's going to distract. And if you don't do it right, if you can't pull it off, it, it's just going to take away from everything you're trying to build. 
Because I see a lot of these films where at the core, I feel like, oh, there's something there. But then all this other stuff gets added to it and it becomes messy, you know? The other thing is stay grounded, stay authentic, you know, kind of keep it based somewhat in reality if you can. Maybe that's a personal thing is I, I would rather it be something that if I'm projecting about the future or about the world, the state of the world, if it's something I don't recognize at all as something that's even possible, it's hard to get there as a, as an audience member to understand because it, it, again, it will distract, right? Now it's not to say that you can't do it. I mean, whether it's elements and components to the stories or the characters that are so far fetched and so like just outside of what we understand today. Okay. Well then you're going the other direction. And for me, that's sometimes fun to watch, but I, at the end of the day, will come back to like, but yeah, but that's not really how it would go, you know? So maybe that's more of a personal thing. That's my personal taste, I guess. I just feel like when you try to lean into that, that's where if you can't pull it off, you're going to go astray. You know, you're going to end up like some of these. You're going to end up as Solar Babies, Lola Skating the Wizard. Which also reminds me, it's like, yeah, let's not have too much like melodrama and fantasy. You know, if you have mysterious magical objects in your shit, you're probably going too far. And even, I mean, I could even see, well, maybe that's to appeal to younger or, or children. Um, I don't feel like these kinds of films are for them. Just think about it. Even films that have come out since this period in the 80s that have kind of been about stuff like this. The ones that I think have really worked in terms of uh, box office or just uh Critically, let's say, I mean, even something like the Hunger Games, which isn't necessarily post-apocalypse, I guess is more dystopian or whatever, but it's got elements of both. But think about it, like that's based on a, a novel or a series of novels for young adults, but there's no magic in it. Not really. It's got some melodrama. It's got a little bit of like heightened emotional uh, components to it, but it's kind of based in reality. You know, you could see that happening. And part of it is because of the theme that it's tackling. It's tackling what the world, what society thinks about the youth and how it treats them, right? And how it can dispose of them. But those things work. And that film, or the series of films, and the novels too, I guess, they, they really do dial in on that. And, of course, you go the other way. You've got stuff like The Road, which it's not for children. And, as a matter of fact, the child in that story, the book and in the film, is the most vulnerable. And so, I don't know. That's That was kind of my takeaway. is like, make sure that you, you commit to what you're doing and don't get too fancy. And, you know, look, to everybody who's made films like this or people who've made these films, I know it takes a lot of work, especially this genre. I understand that. I've looked into it <laughs> to arrange and to get things like this off the ground. It's incredibly difficult. 
even on a tiny micro budget, let's say. So that's kind of it, you know? I think I've learned enough that uh, I'm good. I'm going to steer clear for a little while, I think. If you just want to see bad, bad films, not bad, good films, or good, bad films, whatever, I, I, I dare you, I guess, to go check some of these out. But otherwise, ugh, take my word for it. So anyway, um, go to filmstreak.com. You can find some other episodes there. You can find the list to IMDb where you'll find these and every other film. I try to keep track of those. But, you know, you can use it however you like. Um, and otherwise, hey, go watch something new. Something new.